This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello. Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you are either listening on iTunes or viewing on YouTube uh, this edition of the Thrive Podcast. We do encourage you to listen to the Thrive Podcast five days a week. Uh, We drop a new podcast every single day. Mondays, uh, we have our interviews with individuals, uh, Tuesdays through Friday. We give you excerpts of our Sunday worship experiences and our midweek Bible study experiences. Let us know how we're doing. Drop me a line, uh, Fred Jeff Smith at Cox.net. I would love to hear from you. I want to thank Mr. Jasari Bazell for taking the time to come and share with us today. Mr. Bazell is the leader of uh, the Mind Foundation. Uh, he is uh, an author. He is a mentor. He is a technologist, and according to his bio, he is a global problem solver. And I jumped on that earlier just as we were getting started to ask him about uh, some of the global problems that we have uh, with our 45th president of the United States. Mr. Bazell, thank you for taking the time to come right. and share thank with you us today. Me. I really appreciate it. Right. So tell us about how you got to be doing what you're doing. T- tell us, give, give us a synopsis of your story. <laughs> Uh, originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, kind of yes, grew sir. up here, single parent household, all of that, you know, just that kind of, that stereotypical, this is the story of why, you know, black youth don't make it and the things they kind of struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, started my first company when I was 17 years old, since then kind of been in various things, technology based for the most part, uh, kind of traveled around the world doing different projects for companies like Microsoft, Samsung, Blackberry, uh, and just doing things for the community. Mm-hmm. The last five, 10 years of, or so of my life, I've been, 98% of my time has been focused on solving problems for our community, uh, creating things, helping people, putting things in motion. And that's kind of what brought me back to Baton Rouge a few years ago is I was doing things from, you know, from Kenya and Nairobi to mm-hmm. different parts of the United States. And there's still a lot of issues in our community that we have here that I felt needed some somebody else to kind of jump in and, and show some ways to do some things differently. Are you working uh, in collaboration with friends uh, who share your interests, or are you having to recruit people to become a part of your group? Well, the the reality is you have to constantly be in recruitment, and it's sad in a way that as because I, the problems that we talk about being the oppression, the systemic things that go on in communities, mm-hmm. they face the black community. However. Way too many black people don't see that as a problem of theirs collectively. So you're in constant recruitment for people that get it and want to take a stance in it. So not too many, you know, friends in it because most people, unfortunately, are kind of disconnected, distracted, or that's not really their problem at the time or you're dealing with too many other problems. So in constant recruitment to kind of move things forward and anybody who's willing to jump in and be a part of the solution, they're welcome. Does it require uh, a significant amount of financial investment in order for you to be doing the things that you're doing? So the financial investment we have is ridiculous. Most people, you know, they see certain things that we're doing in the community and they're like, wow, that's, you know, that's 
got to be some money behind that. Mm-hmm. But that's the tip of the iceberg when you begin to look at the things that we have. Like if you ever kind of go around and you see and you understand what infrastructure costs, what infrastructure is, right. then we're running a full-blown organization. It's 11 different vehicles, you know what I mean, four different site facilities, various mm-hmm. things in the community, and consistently expanding. Like weekly and daily, we're doing something to expand infrastructure to help people. Um, you know, we have a, we're bringing up a new training facility to train people on wood workshops, small engine mechanics, welding, various things of that nature, uh, which also includes us building tiny houses, which will launch kind of in June. So, and that's in addition to the youth centers, the acreage of form that we have to grow produce, the mobile markets that we have that we're bringing the things directly to the community. Mm -hmm. So when you look at what that looks like, it's a huge investment. Right. Um, But it will be a whole lot easier if more of our people, more of our organizations got involved with it because, you know, we we have to, we we can't keep doing the same things at a very surface level. We have to build that infrastructure in our community that gives us the ability to move without making ask and request. Mm -hmm. You mentioned tiny houses. When you say tiny houses, you're not talking about that stuff I see on TV where these houses are three feet by five feet. Or Not that like tiny. That. Okay. So we're talking, so one of the, the first models that we'll release here in Baton Rouge mm-hmm. is taking shipping containers and uh, modifying those and making them okay. self-contained yeah. in a way that where you're talking, you know, 600, 800 square feet, yeah. which is, you know, studio apartment in a right. lot of places to what we're kind of going to. I've seen that uh, on, on social media. Uh, usually they take two or three of these containers and they find a way to, to meld them, them together. And they, they make very beautiful... Uh, uh, living spaces yeah. out of those, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 your company is investing in that kind of opportunity. Well, we're, we're not only investing in it, and for us, it's when we look at Baton Rouge right now, mm-hmm. the real estate in Baton Rouge is going to some of the highest in the nation. Mm-hmm. The homeless population is increasing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's various levels of homelessness in in the city, and that's everything from mental illness to wow, I just lost my job, wrong time, and rent went up. So you have skilled laborers and various people that are homeless as a result of some things that are almost not of their own, you know, doing, right? right? So we want to help solve that problem. We can't solve all of the layers to it, but we want to start very strategically in providing housing to homeless in that way to go along with a lot of other things that we're doing in the community. Mm -hmm. So what that looks like and the value of the way that we're doing it, not only are we, you know, kind of investing in it, we've invested into the infrastructure to build and the training to get people involved with it. So right now, one of the biggest things we talk about our youth, right? Right? We talk about things occurring with our youth. And when you look at it, what's really one of the main reasons? Access and opportunity. Mm-hmm. You don't have access to resources. You don't have opportunities to move forward, mm-hmm. upward in life. Mm-hmm. So we have to create access and opportunity for mm-hmm. you. So if I take you, I begin to train you on various things. Let's just say, for instance, I train you on how to do welding. Mm-hmm. That welding skill that you have, that electrical skill that we might train you in, that woodwork skill that we might train you in, we're going to use that to literally build community. So mm-hmm. you may be building a tiny house, you may be referring somebody to houses in the community as we do various things, but we're going to skill you in a way to use your skill, use your talents and your gift to build things that are productive for our communities. Okay. So the investment is in the people as well, but the infrastructure necessary to do so. As a person who's on the ground uh, at the forefront of doing this kind of work, what do you see as the major obstacles, the major pushback uh, that that you receive uh, when you're trying to, to make this kind of investment? 
So it's, it's a few things, and I think the main thing starts with mentality, right? So because there's a mind state that, one, it's new, it's innovative, it's not the status quo, it's not the way that things have been done, right? And the other is just the opposition of what solving problems look like. Most things that occur that have been going on in our communities for 100, 200 years, 300 years don't occur because there's no solution to them. They just occur because there's more profit in continuing the problem to go on mm-hmm. and to treat the symptoms. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you're going to face resistance from those people that benefit from it, those people that have been longstanding. But another part of that is just the simple fact that a lot of people are you excuse the term brainwashed in a way to think that well if this was a solution wouldn't our leadership be offering this wouldn't they had offered that to us before mm-hmm. so they're trained to follow what they don't even realize and when you look at a lot of leadership and not talking about anybody in particular mm-hmm. but it's kind of like when you want to learn from somebody it's better to learn from somebody who does stuff than people that talk about doing stuff, mm-hmm. right? And in a lot of cases, a lot of the people that we're following as leaders don't have the background with building things. They don't have the background for business, for entrepreneurship, and for innovation. Right. And, that, you know, whatever political aspects or whatever they may come from, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But we have to choose leadership that can give us models that are going to serve our people. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things. But people are conditioned to believe if that person has been appointed, then they probably have our best interest in mind. Mm-hmm. So it's just a mind state of getting people also to step up and be a part of the solution. We're so used to being handed things to a degree, you know, that we're not fully invested in taking action, putting resources behind things that are going to benefit our future. And those are, that's, you know, everything kind of is in, in, that, ba- in that ball. Mm-hmm. Because if we can solve those problems, right, if most of the people, let's just say your congregation, if 80% of your congregation said, I want to be a part of the solution. Right. Let's just even things in the church. Hey, we, we got a problem. The roof is falling in. 80% of the people said, I want to be a problem, a part of solving this. Then it's not really a problem anymore mm-hmm. because you can solve it very simply. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're facing. Most people are kind of sitting on the sidelines and they're not proactive about it, even though they know. It affects their kids. It affects their livelihood. It affects the, com- the conditions of their community. Mm-hmm. But they're waiting on somebody else to solve it. Mm-hmm. And nobody's coming to save us. So you, uh, in order to do this, I just want to stay with the housing piece uh, for a second because okay. I, I find that interesting. Uh, even if you, you get the shipping containers mm-hmm. uh, in mass that, that, that you can utilize in order to provide these shelters, uh, these containers have to have to sit on land yes. somewhere. Mm-hmm. So that involves the acquisition of Which is parcels cost. of land. Yes. Uh, uh, and then you have to deal with zoning mm-hmm. issues. And I can start to see some problems that arise yes. when you have to go before the Metro Council of East Baton Rouge Parish and say that we want to take 20 acres of land and we want to put a hundred shipping containers on these 20 acres of land and provide housing for uh, the underserved population of our community. So knowing that you have probably thought that through, how do you respond to the the pushback that would come from a legislative body like the Metro Council? Well, well, part of that is is dividing that problem even simpler, right? As you drive here to come to service, in this immediate area, mm-hmm. how many parcels of land do you see that are blighted mm-hmm. that people are complaining about? Right. You see a, a nice bit of them, right? Yeah. 
So and there's a process of adjudication that can take three years okay. in order to clear so, that land. And, and this goes back to autonomous infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Right now, I can make a phone call to one of our facilities and say, pull an 18-wheeler, grab the forklifts, put it on a truck. Let's move it. Mm -hmm. If it takes y'all three years, y'all not concerned about that property, then we're just kind of to a degree. We're very strategic. We're very business innovative. Everything else applied by the law. But if this property is not being used, we're going to clear that land. We're going to make use of it until you tell us we can't. Mm -hmm. And we have the autonomy to be able to move it at will. So if you say, okay, well, we need to have this move by tomorrow, then maybe we'll move it. We'll move it to the lot next door. But those are the things that we have to do to a great degree to force and I use the term force lightly mm -hmm. in a way to see that these things are going to happen and those bodies that you talk about need to adjust to it if they're really talking about solving the problem mm -hmm. or else it's bringing or putting a magnifying glass on the fact that you don't really want to solve these problems. Right. You just want to push back on us. I'll move the problem down the street to where it's no longer my problem. Right. Yeah. So we just have to be very strategic about it and do those things that are going to help people in the time beings that we can while we work out the red tape and the paperwork as it relates to that. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of our approach to it. We're just going to utilize blighted lots, blighted things as we buy and acquire more things. Well, okay. Again, let, let's stay with that. Okay. Because in, 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 with, with regard to blighted property, uh, just in the circumference of this church <laughs> by a couple of blocks, uh, you're going to have 10 to 15 uh, blighted uh, houses, right. shotgun houses primarily, yep. uh, that sit on that property that nobody's doing anything right. with. They're boarded up. Uh, some of them are being used for uh, uh, less than legitimate reasons, right. uh, drugs, uh, prostitution, what have you. Uh, so in addition to welding these storage containers together, uh, does, your, do, do, does your plan call for utilization of these shotgun houses, putting them back into serviceable use? Yeah. So either that or you demo, and based on the condition of them, you can either demo or you put them back into serviceable use. But the, o the overall aspect is taking back the communities, right? Mm -hmm. So, of course, working with organizations, um, you know, churches, things of that nature, if the congregations in those places get involved with the process, then this is easy. Mm -hmm. Th this is literally easy because from a systematic standpoint and from a technical standpoint, we have a lot of these things already figured out. Mm -hmm. The challenges becomes in manpower and resources. Mm -hmm. But with enough people, resources are there, manpower is there. Mm -hmm. We have enough of that. So what we're talking about isn't that that hard. So give, give me your, your point of view. I used to serve on the Habitat for Humanity board, served for three years on yeah. the Habitat for Humanity board. One of the frustrating things for me Mm -hmm. uh, on the Habitat Board was not the desire of those people to provide suitable housing for people who did not have housing, which I thought was laudable and commendable. Right. But the fact that those who were interested in providing the housing were 75 to 80 percent white folk, and those that were in need of the housing what were about? 85 to 90 percent black folk. Right. And, and, and it just seemed like there should be more balance where that's concerned. If 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 these people who are primarily Caucasian, uh, who have their homes and really have no need uh, to engage in this from any personal, these are not people who are getting rich off of doing this, but because they feel a certain Christian call, because Habitat for Humanity basically is a it started as as a Christian housing yeah. unit that Jimmy Carter 
uh, uh, gave voice to, and 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 uh, that that's how it evolved into what it is now. Why is it that it's 75, 80% white folk who are doing the sponsorship for 85 to 90% black folk? Why aren't black people more involved in things like Habitat for Humanity? And, and I'm asking you that question, uh, not because I want you to respond for all of these people, right. but you're dealing with people and you're talking to me about housing. And I'm just curious as to what you see as a problem with more people getting involved in providing housing for themselves. Right. So no, no, nobody's asking them to provide housing for somebody else. Provide a house for yourself. Right. So I think again that goes back to the first question you asked. What What are the things that you face? What are the challenges that you face? And mm -hmm. that goes one to mind state, right? Because you've been trained to not remember the, the one of the main things that I'm saying. If you want you you refuse to jump in and be a part of the solution that's going to better your life. You've been conditioned in that way to a degree, right? Mm -hmm. And also it's it's the distraction method. Um, right? So if you're distracted, because we all have the same amount of time in a day based on what your skill set is, different people value those things differently. Right. It's what we call opportunity cost. Mm -hmm. If you're dealing with a problem that to me or you is insignificant, but to them, it's their whole world, then it's hard to see past. If you're dealing with a problem right now that if you don't work it out in this hour, you can't see tomorrow, you can't see that next week. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our people are in that condition to where they can't see past the very present now mm -hmm. to even begin to process and work through how that's going to affect or how that's going to do that. And again, to compare like other races of people, if you're sitting on savings, you're sitting on various other things, it's uh, what is it, Maslow's hierarchies of need? Right. Are you familiar with that one? Um, Self-actualization sits at the top. Yeah. <laughs> at the top, after the, the very basic ones. That's right. And most people never get to that top. Mm -hmm. So you're dealing with food you're dealing with shelter you're dealing with those things so and i understand that it's hard for people to jump in to help it just based on that reality that they're distracted by needing to eat today you know what i mean yeah uh, i think some of that 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 has something to do with it and as it relates to how you do it some of it you know like and it's hard to speak in a general context so understand that i'm speaking well, from I'm a general context i'm asking you more for, for your own experience because well, you're out there on the ground and I can imagine that you could get very easily frustrated to say to people, look, man, I'm trying to help you. So why don't you help me help you? But here's the challenge, though, right? For me, my frustration doesn't necessarily come from that layer of people. And when I say that layer of people, you may have, you know, people that are sitting at the top of the food chain, quote unquote, that sit in leadership in various mm -hmm. levels. And you have, um, you know, blue collar workers, you have people that make $200,000 a year that are, you know, pretty well to do or okay. Mm -hmm. And then you have people that are struggling $10,000 a year, not even sure that how they're going to make life. Right. The frustration is not so much with them. The frustration is with the the middle class and those people that can help because with an expectation if I, if you don't have the knowledge right mm -hmm. you've never been introduced to the knowledge you've never been given an opportunity to you don't have any flexibility in time you don't have any flexibility in resources my expectation of you cannot be that great mm -hmm. right i can expect you to learn i can expect you to take some steps forward potentially right but to those people that have greater latitude, those should be the ones helping to create something for those people to give them more latitude. My personal frustrations normally come with those people because even though they know, 
and they have some ability to help, they don't. I have a theory that uh, the biggest problem in this country is not purely racial. It's it's a racial economic mix. Socioeconomics. That when African American people achieve a certain degree of economic security and status, they tend to pull away from the masses of African American people who have not achieved that same level of security and status. And they tend to act like non-African American yes. people towards those people who they left behind. So that it's not purely a racial yeah. thing, it's an economics thing. And that's what I hear you saying. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's the description that I hear you giving. Uh, and it takes a catastrophic event <laughs> for these African American people to realize that in the eyes of their Caucasian counterparts, they're still African American. I don't care how much money you got, you're still African American. And uh, one such incident is what happened with Alton Sterling yeah. uh, in, in July of 2016. And people were made aware of the fact that you still black, right? <laughs> you know, and 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 so talk about that. Talk, talk about uh, your your your. your I'm not going to use the word frustration. Your feelings about the economic stratification that exists within the African American community. What you're saying is is particularly like on point as it relates to it, and it's not even so much. Only, oh, I can't say it's not so much only economics. It's just that overall context of what it is and what they define success is, right? Mm -hmm. Because in a lot of cases, some of these people don't even have the money. They may just have now that access to be around in a lot of cases. Or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not even influence. It's just... Um, Weird that, that association mm -hmm. now. So now you're associated, so you disassociate with that there. And that's largely one of the biggest problems. It's, it's, a, it's a gatekeeper's kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. It's no different than the slave master doesn't always whip the chain. You got to put somebody in between. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at corporate America, like if you look at most corporate American stores, we look at retail. And when I say this to some people, they take it wrong, and I, I tend to try and people are going to get mad about certain stuff. But mm -hmm. if you look at the data and the stats on what it is, like we'll say, for instance, the black woman is the most educated woman in America. Mm -hmm. You got a lot of degrees. Degrees don't necessarily do anything to move our people forward. Mm -hmm. It's great for education. It's great paper. And anybody that wants to do that, you're fine to do it. But it comes with a lot of debt. It doesn't come with anything directly of value in all cases. Mm -hmm. It can, but it does not equate to value for our communities and for our people. Mm -hmm. Now, when you look at it and when you, when you tie this back to business, like to the greater corporate structure, mm -hmm. when you go to most stores, mm -hmm. when you look at middle management, who do we have there, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you and I both know psychological on if you're doing an interview with somebody, you want to pick a very particular person. And it's not to say whether this characteristic is good or this characteristic is bad. But if you're picking somebody to run finance, you want somebody extremely meticulous. You want somebody, you know, but if you're picking your choir director, that those characteristics that you need for those roles vary. Mm 
they're yeah. not going to be the same. I agree with that. But when you look at the roles that are middle management in certain aspects, it's usually a black woman running those things and whipping the chain on everybody else. Mm -hmm. But it's a particular mind state that's good to put in place, and it goes to that separating factor that you're talking about, mm -hmm. that you're beneath me and I have to handle you a certain way. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of across the board. And when you're picking certain people to have certain roles so that it's not the white person doing it. Mm -hmm. It's one of your own people mm -hmm. that's doing it to you. So, but that's just one instance. But it's a whole lot of things that go into it, and it's just a mentality overall that needs to be solved with understanding that collectively that you're still going to be that until we as a people have a different level of power at the table. So then how do we shift back to what once was when, be, before uh, forced desegregation? Uh, <laughs> how do we shift back to becoming our own entrepreneurs as opposed to being satisfied with being a part of someone else's corporate structure? That, that's culture. And that, that culture, we, we have to make... And one of the things some years ago is I, I did a ask of a lot of churches in 2005, 2007, that we pool resources together collectively and begin to build infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. And the building of the infrastructure allows us to invest into culture. Because right now, like most of us have grown up with parents saying, you want to succeed? Go to college, right. finish school, go to college, get a good job, right. retire. Right. Right? Work the same job for 30 years. But who are you uh, working for? Yeah. And these days, people of your generation, I, I'm, I'm assuming that you're in your mid-30s. I'm probably older, but... Okay. Uh, well, well I'm, I'm 57, so okay. I know that you're, you're at least one generation removed from, from where I yeah. am. People of succeeding generations, generations behind mine, aren't interested in working the same job for 30 years. Well, it's uh, not even there. The options aren't even there they, anymore. They'll work three years here, and as soon as they see something over there, they're going to go over there. They, they don't mind having five, six, maybe even seven jobs over their lifetime, whereas people of my generation and people who were ahead of me thought that the best thing in the world was to get a good job rise up to middle level, mid-level management, yeah. make a six-figure income, get a good retirement policy, have a good insurance policy. Those who were of a certain mind to take risk invested in real estate. Mm -hmm. But those who were not interested in, in, in taking that kind of risk invested in insurance yeah. <laughs> to make sure that when they die, their spouses and their children were good taken answer. care of. <sighs> What happened to the, 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 the entrepreneurship that typified and characterized African Americans of the late 19th up to the mid-20th century? Uh, so you have a kind of a, a complexity of things going on, like okay. you said. So at, at one point, like you said, there was—because you, you grew up in Baton Rouge, you think. Right. Everybody grew up 
some of the better things you can do is go get the Exxon job, right. get working in the plant. But it was guaranteed. And right. your retirement was guaranteed. All of these things are guaranteed. And when you begin to look at things like globalization, technology, various things of that nature, mm-hmm. even change the dynamics of the way these companies set up structure, the way they set up retirement plans, a lot of those things don't exist like they did anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not guaranteed that if you, even if you work for this company for 40 years and you're supposed to retire at 40, they may fire you at 38 right. at this point to ensure that those things don't happen, right? right? You bring in technology into the aspect of it. You, you're kind of skimming that down. And the globalization of it, you, you have investment to where it used to be primarily local, regional, and then national, you have, think about some of the plants that have moved into Louisiana in the last 10 years. Those are Chinese invested plants. Mm -hmm. So from a resource allocation standpoint, these things look differently. I'm not trying to have you vested into the structure. I just need worker bees. And you don't have many other options. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? Are you going to go do something else? No, you have to almost hop around to whatever their best offer is at that time. Mm-hmm. So, and because you don't have the infrastructure created on this side, you don't have anywhere else to go. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to, again, the training and the mentality. At some point, we stopped doing the very basics of things from jobs, from construction to, you know, agriculture to all of these things. And we decided that we were too good for those things because the idea of success that was planted in us is to get away from those things. And as you say, get into these other places to where you get these degrees, you go work for these companies. So we basically unsuited ourselves by saying, here's ideas of success, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To, to be able to wear the suit, to be able to go to these places. But... It left us without that base level of infrastructure that was needed. But I'm not sure that it's just about. I, I'm not saying just. I, I agree with you. But, I, I wouldn't but, say but, just at but, all. But I don't think that it's just about uh, uh, wearing the suit. I think it's about security. My my father pastored this church for 50 mm-hmm. years. Uh, uh, my father uh, believed in insurance. He he. he he didn't. He didn't invest in real estate. Right. Uh, he thought that was too risky a yep. venture. He he did not want to get sick mm-hmm. and not be able to go to the doctor or to the hospital. He did not want to get sick and die and not be able to leave something for his children. And right. so he took every spare dollar that he could, and he put it in insurance. Right. Uh, uh, Security. Right. Uh, uh, other people I know that they're members of this church who who have taken their dollars and they have invested in uh, real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they have houses that they rent out and 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 that's a sizable supplemental income for them. They they, they might work other jobs. Some of them are in government. Some of them are in uh, the plants. Right. Uh, but they take those, they take their uh, residual dollars, their excess dollars, not residual, their excess dollars, and they invest it in real estate. And, and they're willing to take a little bit more risk. Right. A little bit more but risk again, it's, it's, it's all designed to make sure that I achieve a certain comfort level right. for me and mine. Only. Uh, at some point, we stopped thinking about the needs of uh, the larger community. Yes. And, and, and we have focused ourselves on our needs, our yeah. immediate needs. And, and we have rationalized by saying, well, you know, I care about them. 
I'm concerned about them, but I got to take care of me and mine. Uh, of, of me and, mine. Yeah. And, and they have to take care of theirs the best way that they can. Yeah. And, you know, some of the attitude of a lot of people, and I was actually having a conversation with a guy yesterday, day before yesterday, and it's always crazy when people approach me like this. They're like, well, look at, they'll say, well, look at me, and talking about themselves. Mm-hmm. I made it. And they say, look at you. You made it too. So why can't they do the same right. thing? And to hear, like, black men say that mm-hmm. to me is often extremely frustrating mm-hmm. because I know what I had to go through to make it. And I know how many other people that I grew up with that didn't make it, right. even from a living standpoint, to being in jail or to just struggling across the board. Right. So it's not like it's guaranteed. It's not that if I just kind of coast through, I was going to make it. I had to be like a thousand times better at everything exponentially to be able to achieve what I've achieved. Right. You know what I mean? So that for me is a big thing to where it's like I don't want other people to have to do what I did to make it to where I want to get to. And I think that's one of the the biggest differences when we talk about culture, like to being able to stand on the shoulders. In a lot of cases, when we start the game, we don't know whether we're playing basketball, track. Not only are we behind, but we don't even know what sport we're in because nobody before us, for the most part, and there are some families and some people that have put, you know, things in place to right. allow their children, their family members or other uh, people a seat at the table right. or some ahead in the game. We're, we're not very intentional about that at all. And that goes back again to culture, right? Mm-hmm. And we, and it's funny because all of these things are kind of interconnected. When you begin to look at BET, Essence, various things of that nature, even look at the churches, right? Mm -hmm. Culturally, what are we implanting into our people, into their being to say this is what success is, this is what this looks like, and this is how we achieve it? Mm -hmm. We don't control most of the channels, most of the media, most of the messaging that go into our brains to have us go a certain way. We don't even control the education. Mm-hmm. So the knowledge of what was, what currently is, and what needs to be mm-hmm. that's first implanted into our kids, we have no control over. Mm-hmm. And when they begin to watch TV, the music, and everything else that goes into it, it's shifting them and programming them a certain way that's anti themselves, and it's telling them me, 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 mm-hmm. and nothing about a collective. Mm-hmm. But it, it goes back to culture, and that culture also goes back to spending, right? Because that was a point in time where we talk about segregation, integra- integration, we had to spend with us, and our communities were doing pretty well. So why could we not integrate and yet still spend with one another? Because you're strategic. Um, just think about it. Strategically, I want your best and your brightest. I want to give you integration, but it has to benefit me. So mm-hmm. I need to extract I don't, I don't want the bottom of your barrel. I want the top of but your barrel. But what you're describing is not integration. You're describing assimilation. And that's, and, and, that's and, what and, we and, had. And, and, and that's, that, that's an entirely different thing. But that's what happened. <sighs> Our integration led to assimilation mm-hmm. across the board. Our best in, like, think, just think about HBCUs. Right. Are our best and our brightest going to HBCUs? Not anymore. Right. Yeah. 
You're extracting the best. And, and even when you begin to look at corporate diversity, you look at technology diversity, you look at all of these inclusion programs, mm -hmm. you take the best and the brightest and you take the ideas. We can even go back to things like Habitat for Humanity, non-NGOs, non-governmental organizations, non-profit organizations. In a lot of cases, when these people come to our communities, they're leveraging a middleman, which is usually somebody black, to get that insight, to get that finger on the pulse that they need to craft it in a way that it works for them mm -hmm. but it's going to benefit them in some way but you have to get the smart Negro you have to get the one who understands the people but can you know code switch enough but now you have to convert them out of their communities into the other side and across the board that's normal now Mm -hmm. To talk what we're talking right now with most black people, especially in a, a place like Baton Rouge, then you're pretty much ostracized. Mm -hmm. Like it's against the game because we shouldn't even be having these conversations. We shouldn't be talking about black and white and what's going on and that level and the fact that black people should be concerned about other black people. That's a faux pas. Keep going. No, this is, this is, this is just the reality of where we are. And that has become the norm. But somewhere along the line, some, some people let it become the norm. And you can't even fault. You can't fault the quote-unquote, as we say, opposition for that. We have to fault our own communities, our own leaders, our own churches, our own whatever that is, because you had to see it coming. And something could have been done. Not necessarily. Uh, see, see I, 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 I agree with you that, that blame can be laid at, at certain entities' feet, including the church. The, the part that I disagree with is the idea that we saw it coming, because I don't think everybody saw it coming. No, but I'm saying, like, it didn't happen overnight. No, it didn't happen That's what overnight. I'm saying. But there, if you talk to older people, if you talk to the few that are left, the patriarchs and matriarchs of the civil rights movement who fought for integration, who fought to overcome separate but equal, who who cheered uh, Brown versus Board of Education and 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 the Civil Rights Act of '64 and the Voting Rights Act of '65, they cheered those things. Uh, uh, when you talk to them, if you get them in in a moment of honesty, mm -hmm. they will say that one of their disappointments is that integration has contributed so much to the demise of the African-American community. And, 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 and on that basis, I, I, I respond saying they didn't all see it coming because, because I think if they had seen it coming, they would have tried to devise a, a method by which to avoid it. Right. And so, like, when you, when you think about even in the terms of, uh, you know, Martin Malcolm. Right. right. Malcolm was saying, hey, this is bad. You know, Martin was saying, but even in, and there's another conversation I had with someone just yesterday, day before yesterday. As you look the last six months to a year of King's life after mm -hmm. he and Martin met, and I mean, you know, Malcolm met and everybody was kind of together and hanging out. The context of and the content of what he was speaking changed. It went to economics. It went to, you know, reparations. It went to us building our own communities and things. And we've led our people into a burning house. I think I've basically taken the wrong route. Even those things were understood. And at that point, he had to be eliminated, right? But even beyond that to where integration took place, and some people didn't see it. They were just under the guise again, kind of going back to what we immediately said. Mm -hmm. if, the, if, if the people see a leader and the leader has a plan for them, the people aren't thinking. They're thinking, 
well, if King said this is good, mm-hmm. then it must be good. Mm-hmm. No different than the day. Most people aren't really even questioning the logic or the alignment behind what a lot of people are saying or doing. Mm-hmm. They're just following. Mm-hmm. But once it happened, right, there had to be locally, collectively, here's how we need to transition out of this or here's how we need to hold this. Like even when we think about, you know, we can we can talk about real estate, we can talk about those type of things as it relates to business ownership, mm-hmm. but what about consumables, right? Mm-hmm. Things that we're spending dollars on on a regular basis, we're not controlling those things. Mm-hmm. We spend, last uh, stat I have from what we do is $1.7 trillion. It's spent by African Americans and only 2% of that contributes to our communities or to black businesses if that at a Mm -hmm. high level Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so in looking at that we spend dollars it's a lot of investment into the churches right so the churches have a a big thing in that but what if just even when we looked at it from a logical financial perspective what if the churches were telling our people hey we need to be intentional about investing in these things we need to put more of those in our communities i haven't seen a lot of that done Mm -hmm. and i'm just saying that in this an example is an illustration mm-hmm. to once we knew that it was off track, there is not a huge culture of organizations and leadership saying this is how we rebuild. We've gone off course some. Mm-hmm. Let's course correct. Mm-hmm. Let's begin building things in our community. Let's make certain that our people are putting back into it. And you can go into, into stuff like simple as, you know, a lot of people don't like Farrakhan. Some people are kind of anti-Farrakhan for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But Structurally, he's attempted to do certain things from thousands and thousands of acres of farms and distribution to be able to feed people to have those things go down. Mm -hmm. Now, collectively, we look at the Christian church in America. It's the biggest distribution network that could exist among black people. But we haven't been very intentional about why don't we have a bank? Mm -hmm. Because even think about it right now. Where do our churches every Sunday take money to deposit? Mm-hmm. And are they lending that money back to our communities mm-hmm. whose dollars they're getting? Mm-hmm. It doesn't take rocket science to say, right now, if we picked up the phone and called every pastor that you wanted to, we could have a bank in process and done by this time next year, investing in our communities. Those are the solutions to a lot of the things. And then we lend to our people that are vested in our community. We can own Baton Rouge. To own Baton Rouge, we could literally say to National Baptist Convention of America and a few other churches, and we could have enough resources going to get a bank started. We could have enough money to start a bank off of you making enough phone calls, right? Mm-hmm. And we could actually have the bank going, and you can lend, what, up to 90% of what you got on 10%. We could pretty much have a budget I ain't saying pretty much. We can have a guaranteed budget bigger than the city. Mm-hmm. Do you understand the power that that is? Yeah, I, I dispute the numbers, but I I, I applaud the why the, the numbers. The why thought, do you dispute? Because them? because churches don't have as much money as you give them credit for having. How much? Uh, most churches subsist on Sunday uh, offers. I have friends of mine who pastor in in areas of the country where it snows. Right. Uh, I, I have a friend of mine who passes in Kansas City, Missouri. When they have a snow day, mm-hmm. like, like, like like they're predicting to have on Sunday, right. and they have to not have worship, well, that, that's a major hit yeah. to that congregation because most African-American congregations, even large African-American congregations, uh, uh, live from week to week. Right. We, 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 we can't make it very far without Sunday contributions. If if this church had to go two weeks, a month without 
uh, Sunday contributions, we'd be in bad shape. Okay. Uh, so so I, 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 I dispute the numbers that but you're the, using. But hold on. But the, 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 the thinking behind what you're saying, I think, is, is, is certainly something that can be approached. And in fact, uh, I, I said to my congregation uh, last month, came back from the midwinter board meeting of the National Baptist Convention USA Incorporated, we're in the process of forming our own credit union, a mm -hmm. National Baptist credit union. Now, right. why, why did it take till 2019 to do that? Well, th there are various reasons that can be right. given for that. But we are in the process of doing the very thing that you are describing. And those are things that we need to connect the dots on, and I'd be interested to talk to you about that. But even the numbers, like when you look at the numbers, like mm -hmm. do, do a little research and we'll, we'll have a conversation about mm -hmm. that, about what those numbers look like. But even to go into the what two weeks look like, mm -hmm. right? Imagine, because you're saying over here we can only go two weeks. But what if those weren't the only streams? What if we own the grocery store around the corner? Yeah. What if we own the farm? What if we had the, technologi the, the technological plant? I certainly agree with right? that. Right? Yeah. Then it's not so much of a burden on the congregation. Right. But you're also to a large degree, able to employ the congregation, which also changes the dynamics. Well, now you're describing Shiloh. Shiloh employs 60-plus people here, right. okay? I, I stand on the fact, and, and I'm not saying this as a brag because it ain't got nothing to do right. with me. It, it's what Charles Smith and the members of this church did, and, and I am— enjoying the fruit right. of their labor. So right. please don't take this as me bragging about anything oh, no, that no, I've no, done. No. But Shiloh is the largest minority employer in the city of Baton Rouge. The largest right. minority employer in the city of Baton Rouge is a black Baptist church. Right. And, 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 and while that's laudable on one end, it's frightening on another. On another. And I agree. Like, we're on the same page with that. And those are the things that until we work intentionally to change, we're not going to be in a good position to move the dynamics from a political level. We're not going to be in a good position to change the dynamics of what our communities look like. We have to be able to put innovative, creative ideas and business things into place that contribute to the fabric of society and contribute to the reality of our people and their livelihood. Mm -hmm. Once we're able to do that, then we're on the joystick. Mm -hmm. We're controlling the way that people move because right now a lot of people are frightened because they still can't speak, they can't do what they want to do because you still got to report Exactly. To <laughs> so we exactly. have to be able to. You ain't going to speak out against ExxonMobil and ITEP when, when, when you work for ExxonMobil. There's only so far that you're willing to go. And, in fact, when I say something against uh, ExxonMobil, as I'm prone to do, I got members of my congregation that's like, wait a minute now, Pastor. <clears throat> Bro, Pastor. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I ain't gonna get too many amens on, 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 on that thing. Right. Because we have our heads in the lion's mouth. But, and that's a the thing. $10 million uh, 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 tax abatement for Exxon is a pimple on the backside of an elephant. Right. It means nothing. absolutely nothing. Right. 
but they want to act like the world is going to come to an end if we have to pay the city of Baton Rouge $10 million extra right. in taxes. And they sit up there and say, well, we might have to reevaluate whether or not we're going to stay in Baton Rouge. They ain't going we, 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 we They've been there since 1923. They ain't going nowhere. But, but even beyond that, and that's what a lot of people, you know, and, but that's, that's, again, just a lack of understanding strategically about infrastructure. It's impossible for them to move that deal of infrastructure somewhere, and it would take them 30 years to do so. And where are you going to move it cost-effectively at the price that you bought this land here 100 years ago? Yeah. You cannot do it. So, like, that's not even—that shouldn't even be considered in things like that. But that also kind of goes back to our community of— a lot of those things, when we start talking about gentrification and how things are mm-hmm. done and homeless rates and everything else that kind of impacts it, we could be buying up enough of this land and keeping these organizations out of our communities to a great degree while we develop. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't always have to, even when you look at like right now, the, um, the tax credits and the various things that they're putting in play mm-hmm. for people to come in. And when you look at the numbers and they only make sense to people that have a lot of money, yes. the investment has to be into something that you're not concerned about this money. You're not, it's not like you can take $2,000. If you're getting 1% off for $2,000 in five years, what is that, like $10? And if yeah. you, like, who in our community sees that as a good deal? So what happens is you're looking at investment from outside entities to come in and gentrify our communities, thus leaving us from nothing, but it's being pushed grandiose by people that look like us mm-hmm. from government agencies, state agencies, and other nonprofit organizations, and even some of the churches. Mm-hmm. But it's going to do nothing for our communities, and all of that kind of sits in that same puddle of investment that they're telling us we need investment in our communities. Mm-hmm. Our investment in our communities need to come from people that are vested that live in our communities, mm-hmm. that's the only way we're going to stop this. Or you're going to look back in five years and wonder why we own absolutely nothing. Even when you look at South Baton Rouge, the connection between downtown and LSU, everything's going. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they're coming to get everything else as you move back. Windburn, right? You you see different things that are taking place. Bow box signs start going up. You start seeing people wanting to do events over there. And, again, kind of going back to what you said about um, Habitat for Humanity. You have all of these organizations that come in and do things that that have great optics for the community, Mm -hmm. but they don't have a pulse on anything in the community. Mm -hmm. And what that brings is that brings attention, that brings uh, something. And in a lot of cases, the organizations are being paid in some form or fashion to do the things that they're doing Mm -hmm. that doesn't benefit the community. Mm -hmm. And in five years from now, the people that live there can't afford to live there anymore. Mm But what can we do to stop that? We can invest in these communities and begin the infrastructure at least to control the dynamics. So when you come in to invest in these communities, it's on our terms. At least three or four times uh, over the course of this conversation, I've heard you mention the church. This is a church. Yes. I pastor a church. Yes. My life is in the church. Yes. And as I said before we started taping, uh, I do these podcasts because I am genuinely searching Uh, trying to learn how my church and then the church, two different things, my church and then the church can better serve its community. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shiloh has been in this community since 1872. We ain't going nowhere. Uh, We want to not just be in the community. We want to be servants in the community. And part of that is learning how to meet 
the needs of the present age. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we spend too much time as churches looking back at what once was right. and not looking forward at what is and what is to come. And so I, I use all of that preface, all that porch to get to, to, to this question. What's your attitude about the church, uh, about the black church in, in general? general? Yes, sir. In general, it's, it's spelled out communities. Like in, in one sentence, it's spelled out communities. Because the black church, from a, a program and just from a, a from a mental programming aspect, mm-hmm. has the credibility, right, that people will say, "All right, the pastor said it, the church has said it. Let me try this. Mm-hmm. Let's go this route." Mm-hmm. That alone, just the words alone, have not come from leadership as a whole with the plan to provide economic support to our communities, to Mm -hmm. provide training for our communities, or to even say, hey, here's some other ways that we could go. Here's some things that we need to do. Mm -hmm. Now, beyond that, even a 10% investment collectively into various things across the board outside of, you know, the church walls themselves would have a tremendous impact Mm -hmm. in our communities. We look at educational impact on, on various things. We complain about the school boards, the systems, and this is across the board in every oh sorry that's okay in, in every community these are these are things you know even New Orleans charter you know systems all of these things we complain about but not a whole lot of churches in our communities have schools that are open to the people that live in the communities mm-hmm. so it's a various things that could be done a little different and there are various reasons for it but we need to figure out a way to use the great mighty power right mm-hmm. of our churches to serve our communities as you're saying mm-hmm. you know i think a lot can be done for whatever reason it has not been done across the board some churches are doing great at it as you said you guys are doing on the employment aspect of it something there and i hear other great things that you're doing in the community we have to adopt those things intentionally that has to be part of the fabric we mm-hmm. have to build people across the board mm-hmm. i tend to agree uh so so uh, you know i I, I see that we have not done enough. Do you go to church? Currently, no. Okay. So as someone who does not go to church, but sounds like you might be open to returning to the church if the church gave you a reason to come back, let me ask you this question. What would the church have to do to get your attention? Well, they they wouldn't have to, like, specifically, it's not about my attention, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, across the board, houses of worship, whatever that is, whatever that looks like, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Christian, mm-hmm. whatever that is, for me, it's about serving the good of the people and right. the oppressed people. Right, so I'm people. asking you, as someone who 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 is 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 looking critically at the inaction of the uh, of the church within our communities and says that he does not currently attend a church i'm asking you what is it that you would like to see going on in the church that might cause you to take a second look at at the church i I can't say and that's what i'm saying like so there's a difference so so for instance uh, about two weeks ago i spoke i still speak at churches sometimes for they they have men's conferences and Mm -hmm. stuff like um Pastor Smith just did a men's conference about two weeks ago mm-hmm. in Baker. I spoke at that. I go to different churches still and do different things, mm-hmm. right? But it's not necessarily about me personally and whether or not I return to the church. Because even if I'm not in church, I'm not, hey, let's not work with a church. So Pastor Flowers down on America Street, right? We did Very a good friend at of mine. his church. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's various things. 
what has to happen in our community has to go beyond politics and religion. And I'm open to working with anybody. Okay. I don't want you to just work with the church. Okay. I want you to be a part of the church. And I, when you I, say I, a part. I, I want you to have membership in a church. I want you to be vested in a church. Are you a member of a fraternity? Nope. Are you a member of 100 black men or of a civic group? Nope. Okay. Then, then you might not be the best example of what I'm talking about. Oh, probably about. not. <laughs> but, but I see men and women who will vest yes. their time, their talent, their treasure, their posterity yes. into certain groups. Yes. Fraternities, sororities, civic groups. Uh, and, and, and again, my theory, uh, and, and I think it has some validation. I can't prove it empirically, but I believe it has some validation. Yeah. Black folk, because of the lack of economic wealth that other uh, groups, that white folk have. Uh, okay. Quit trying to talk diplomatically. That white <laughs> folk have. Uh, we're not a both and people. Right. We're an either or people. Right. Because we ain't got enough dollars to be both and. Right. We, we can't give to this and that. Right. We give to this or that. Right. So when fraternities and sororities and 100 black men and Jack and Jill get dollars and time. From, from, and time <laughs> from our people. That's dollars and time that the church will not get. And, 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 and there has been a, a reduction in the ability of the church to do. Granted that even when you had the ability, you weren't doing enough. <laughs> But, 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 but there has been a reduction in the ability to do because now those dollars are going in different places. Right. And that time is going in different places. And we're not going to spend two hours at Jack and Jill on Saturday and then get up and come to church at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. We're going to do one or the other. We're not, we're not going to do both. So, 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 so when I'm talking to you, right. I, I don't want you to come by the church. Right. I want you to be a part of the church. And I'm asking you, what is it that so, the church would have to do to get you to, to be invested in so, the church? So for me, here's the thing, and you, you kind of explained it exactly, that, that either or kind of perspective and the segmentation that we have in our communities, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like if you get pulled over, they ain't asking whether you're Christian. They ain't asking whether you're Muslim. They ain't asking whether you're gay. They ain't asking those things. They ain't right. asking if you go to that church, if you're a member of that fraternity or however that goes. It's your blackness. Mm -hmm. My concern is with our people investing into the future of the black community, mm -hmm. not in church, not in the, not in the uh, you know, fraternity or sororities, not in those things. It's, we're saying the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. For me, it's if we invest into the future of our blackness mm -hmm. and those things that are going to provide us with equality, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to provide us with a future for our kids and all of those various things. I think that that's the thing that allows us to all benefit from that investment in time, from that investment in resources, right? Mm -hmm. Because across the board, we all going to still be black, mm -hmm. right? Now, once you go down and you begin to look at the churches, you begin to look at these other things. But if we built inside of an infrastructure that was uh, we are unified on the fact that we're black and we're not going to be divided or segmented 
on, you know, religious belief or even whether you're Baptist or whether you're Methodist or my church is bigger than yours or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever those things are that basically cause us strife and cause us division or political parties or whatever those things are. I think we need to have a coming together. And that's one of the things. And when you ask about what happened, right? What happened? When did we go astray? We got too much segmentation. We we became a, a, a people that everything is before you being black. But the segmentation was wrapped around economics. Or whatever. It, 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 it wasn't necessarily wrapped around race. Race was a component no. of it. No, but, but, it was, but it was wrapped around economics. Because in the neighborhood I grew up in, we talked before we started taping, I grew up in Southern Heights. I grew yeah. up in Southern Heights in, 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 in the 60s and 70s. Right. And my neighbors were a cross-section of African-American folk. I had school teachers and I had college professors and I had doctors and I had lawyers but I also had uh, police officers and I had security guards and I had janitors and I had mailmen these were all my neighbors right and 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 everybody lived in the same neighborhood and all the kids played together we ain't have no park we played in the street or we played in somebody's front yard because that's all we had to play in but with desegregation with integration the doctor who had more money had to could move out. out yeah and the lawyer who had more money could move out and 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 over the span of about 10 years these yeah, people these moved to other parts of the city and it wasn't it wasn't on the basis of being black it was on the basis of having the money to move right. and 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 what southern heights became was a neighborhood of people who used to be right and those who were trapped I would because, agree. because they couldn't go anywhere else so i 100 percent agree with what you're saying but here's the thing strategy strategic you've read the art of war before right yes so diminish how do you diminish your <laughs> your opponent's resources you divide it right the easiest way for me to defeat you it's for me to spread your resources in a way to where it doesn't matter. You got a bigger army than me, but y'all are not together. They not even fighting. They don't even identify with the war. Strategically, regardless of the guys that you do it under. And that's like the, the craziest thing. Most of our people walk around looking at what is, but can't identify what it really is. It doesn't matter. If I distract you or if I defeat you, like I could beat you one-on-one or I could distract you to where you don't show up to the fight, I still win. Mm -hmm. My goal is not to beat you in a fair fight because they've never fought us fair. fair. Agree with that. So strategically, and and, and part of the the, the thing is it's crazy is, and you know this just as well as I know because you got to sit in board meetings, you got to sit in things like that. I got to leave this room and I got to let you make the decision to go against yourself or to give you to give me what I want. You have to make that decision. It has to come out of your mouth. How do I strategically do that? Or Or am I making sense? Or yes, you're making sense. Or they don't invite you into the room until the decision has already been made. And you think and and they want you to rubber stamp what they've already decided to do. Here are your two options. Yeah. And both of them are in my best interest. Yeah. And essentially, once we begin to divide and segment, 
It's, it's no different. Like, we talk about people say, why do we use the black fist, the fist on certain things? Because this is unification. Mm-hmm. Like, that ain't going to hurt you much. Mm-hmm. You begin to pull these things together. You pull all of these digits together, and you got one fist. Mm-hmm. This is oppressed people working together to fight the oppressor. Mm-hmm. Once you begin to divide those things, mm-hmm. and it's separated, mm-hmm. and it's segmented, either segmented under, man, I can't join this because my leader over here, this fraternity say, I can't do this. My church say, I can't do this. My whatever say, I can't do this. And then we left with nothing. Well, the NAACP, I can't do this. Well, a hundred black men say, I can't do this. They doing this over here. And so we literally, it's just like, you're conditioned to battle against yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's automatically set. Mm-hmm. It's automatically set. So, and that's why I say, it has to be a unification under an end goal that collectively benefits our people. And we don't have that right now because, unfortunately, most organizations, because when you look at it, like even if you go in and you do a business plan, you do a loan or something, they want to know your organizational mission. They mm-hmm. want to know your, your statement. They want to know sure. what you're for. Sure. And you can set all of these black organizations down at the table and on none of them say they're about the advancement of the real building for our people. Mm-hmm. How is that even possible? Mm-hmm. How does that even make sense? Well, I hear what you're saying, and and I agree that there does need to be unity. I think I think where you and I would differ would be under what banner we unify. Uh, uh, and when you say under what banner, what do you mean? I'm I'm black, but I'm Christian, and and my Christianity rises above my blackness. And see, and and that's and that's one of the things for me that every time I've ever been discriminated against, I've never been asked, "Are you Christian first? Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm. Never, ever, 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 ever in my life. I don't know a single person that's black that they've asked, what's your religious belief mm-hmm. before they discriminate against you? Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I don't understand because it's no different than, you know, Democrats, Republicans, where we're supposed to do this. It's still causing that divide. Because at the end of the day, like when it comes down to it, what your belief is, if there is one, that's fine. I did for the first time. I did one time. I did the um, what is it that Farrakhan does? The hundred million man million, march. million man march. I did that one a few years ago, mm-hmm. right? And I pulled up to the hotel at the time. I was traveling the world, doing a bunch of stuff. So I have the highest level of travel with the Hilton hotels or whatever. Right. I left to go get some food. I'm coming back to the hotel, and it's a bunch of brothers outside in the parking lot and I've already checked into my hotel and I'm like you know we get to talking like well we can't check in so I was like alright well cool I'll probably get y'all checked in they didn't tell me that they had had an altercation with the front the front desk person so they wouldn't let them check in so I was like alright well either way I go I got access to the whole level lounge and all of that stuff so bring everybody we go into the lounge mm-hmm. right so we ended up with like 10 brothers in the lounge talking about building talking about doing different stuff about two hours later, we got about 30 brothers in the lounge. And we in the lounge eating food, chilling, hanging out, good conversations about building what needs to be done. Somewhere into a conversation, religion comes up. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't, it was 50, it's 30 people, and it's 50 different conversations going on. Mm-hmm. Everybody talking over each other, everybody just, it's, it's an argument. It's, before, it's like we're talking about building and real solutions for our community, mm-hmm. right? And then it was nothing. And they got this big round table in there. It's about from that wall to this wall, right? And it's a super heavy table. Mm-hmm. One guy in there, 
at convict had long been out of jail big i say man move the table for me i say just everybody just chill just chill i say hold on i say move the table for me he couldn't move it. Mm-hmm. i say how about this everybody come here grab grab part of that table i say we need to move this table out here let's go pick the table up moved it mm-hmm. nothing i say all of that that we talking about from religion, what's better, what's all of the rest of that stuff, don't matter. I just want to see this table get moved, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Because moving this table is the benefit to our people. Mm-hmm. Now, if you believe that and you believe that, yeah, we can have some conversation, intelligent dialogue about whatever that might be. But let's move the table. Mm-hmm. Let's move the table. I'm not trying to condemn whatever that might be. The most important thing for our people is that we work together. And this is my personal belief, mm-hmm. and it goes against, but history also shows that it, <laughs> that we need to do something different. Mm-hmm. We need to work together to move the table, mm-hmm. right? And what's first, for me, I'm a black man first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, 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 I know, and even when I was this close to preaching, I was still a black man first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm going to be discriminated against. My son is going to be a black man. My daughter is going to be a black woman. And they're not going to ask on the grounds of Christianity or, you know, whatever that might be. But I understand. And I think that's one of the things also that has done some some great harm to us because we can't get together. Well, to it build. only does harm if you allow it to. I can. But most have allowed you, it to. I can help you move the table and still be a Christian first. Uh, my, my, my being a Christian. But what if Christians, Christianity says you can't move the table? That's not Christianity. All right. Well, then that's what I'm saying. So, see, not, I'm fine what, with that. What, what, what you're describing is a form of Christianity that I would not agree okay. with. I'm not a fundamentalist. I'm a Christian. Right. But I'm not a fundamentalist. I, I, I'm not sitting here saying that Jewish people or Muslim people or atheist people. Right should be discriminated against. Right. I'm not saying that homosexual people or bisexual right. people should be discriminated against. I'm saying that I have a Christian belief that is the foundation of who I am. Right. And my blackness f- is funneled into my Christianity, not my Christianity right. is funneled into my blackness. So and, we- and, 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 and so for me, my being Christian does not help does not deny me the responsibility, not just the willingness, the responsibility to help you move the table. The table. And, 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 that, and that's what I'm saying. That makes sense because that shouldn't come into effect to deter the responsibility that is needed for our communities. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. So if we're building this table and everybody black benefits from this table and over here you may go worship over here on Sunday but right. the rest of the time we're right. building all of this right that makes perfect sense to me but that unfortunately has not how it hasn't been that way mm-hmm. right in a lot of cases man I'll give you an instance when I when I came back here and we started doing stuff in the community I used to get calls from pastors and stuff like that and from people and they would talk about man we love what y'all are doing in the community we mm-hmm. want to connect we want to do this and I will be clear on the front side. I say, hey, we're out here because there's anything. We don't do any title things. So we don't want nobody coming out, take pictures, do this type of stuff, whatever. Mm-hmm. We're out to help the people and build different things. Mm-hmm. We're not pushing Jesus. We're not pushing Allah. We're not pushing any of that. Mm-hmm. We're out here to tangibly build for the community. Mm-hmm. And I've had people tell me, well, if you ain't pushing Jesus, I don't want to deal with right. you. Right. Like, if you ain't going to put people in the seats of my church, right. I don't want to do it. Right. Like, if it ain't Jesus first, then... 
So literally, you call me because you like the stuff that we doing in the community, what we doing for the people of the community, of where your church is yeah. and everything else. But we can't work together because, because, because for them, it, it is a denial of something that is integral to their personhood. And I'm I, I'm going to challenge you. You didn't ask me to challenge you, and, and you can say go to hell, and that's okay. Uh, uh, but I'm going to challenge you to to seek methods because you're obviously a gifted talented intelligent person seek methods to include those people uh uh in spite of the fact oh, that yeah. that be, because they are contributors too they, right. they have something to contribute as well no i, I don't and, disagree with and, that. and 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 they might be partisan in that and and, and 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 you know i have colleagues of mine who refuse to go to ecumenical functions because they're asked not to pray in the name of jesus and they say well that's a denial of my faith i don't see it that way right. jesus and i got a good relationship and so he understands that if i'm in a room full of jews and and muslims and uh hindus as i often am because i'm a part of the interfaith federation of greater baton rouge that i ain't dissing jesus because i don't pray in the name of jesus in that function, what I'm doing is showing respect for the other people right. that are in the room. All I'm saying is I want to show you respect as a person who has freely admitted my blackness comes before anything else. I want you to show me the same respect and I, with, 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 with regard to my Christianity. Yeah. You know, and, and, and we can help build the table. Right. I, I ain't got no problem helping you build the table. Right. You know, uh, so... I find this to be an interesting conversation, and, and I hope you come back. Uh, I don't say that too often. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we've had several guests. Only two or three have made it back a second time. But okay. if you have the time, uh, I'd like to continue the conversation. Yeah, and we need to continue the building, yeah. like, immediately on, on levels of things to get some stuff done. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that's, that's, that's normal. Even when he called me, well, I didn't know what it was about. I'd just been knowing him. For a long time, Terrence is said, a pretty cool guy. Yeah, yeah and he say, "Hey, I thank you." I was like, "All right, well, all right, cool." Yeah, <laughs> like I'll come. But you know, a lot of this stuff I hadn't been doing a lot of media stuff for a while, mm -hmm. like because in a lot of cases it ends up fruitless. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. But I'm very intentional and kind of purposeful in everything and every connection we need to be doing something no. or we need to know that we ain't doing something right you know what i mean just the fluff because there's a lot of fluff that occurs in this day and age on people just talking about talking because that's yeah that's the culture i understand but everything should be done in a way that's going to present something exponentially to help somebody and to equip something to leave it better mm -hmm. and that's just kind of you know where i'm at so always willing to connect with anybody that's about helping people, building, changing the dynamics of the game. And that's what we need to be better about, I think, because I don't think we're doing a great job at it. Some of, you know, some are better than others, but mm -hmm. collectively it's just way, it's just way too um, – things are isolated and yeah. we got too many clicks in what it should be to a point to where we're going to provide something for the future in a way that this city alone is growing and the state of America in general – we're not in a position to deal with what's coming down the pipeline. Mm -hmm. Mr. Bazell, thank you so much for taking the time. Appreciate really you, sir. Appreciate it. Right. Thank you all for viewing. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next time.